and welcome to Down to Earth Convos Down Under, episode 19. In this episode, Carrie Sutton joins us to talk mental health and raising resilient kids, equipped with the mindset and mental tools to thrive in the modern world. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Carrie, and welcome to Down to Earth Convos Down Under. How are you? Oh, incredibly well. Happy to be here. Great, Doing yes. Thank you very as much. Well. Great, that's good, Brad. Looks like you're in a nice spot over there in WA. Definitely on the beach. Yes, I'm very envious of where Brad's sitting at the moment. <laughs> you can see the beautiful beach in the background. So, yeah. It looks very nice. Well, it's our pleasure to have you, Carrie. Carrie Sutton, uh, welcome. And we are so looking forward to having you and sh- you sharing your expertise as an educator, speaker, and author who has helped over 25,000 children, parents, and educators sharing your strategies and tools and approaches to helping and foster children's positive mental health, which is um, incredibly needed and more important than ever these days. So today we're going to, um, you know, tap into your wisdom and expertise so that you can share those tools and strategies to help plant the seeds in parents about how important it is to have resilience, to raise resilient, emotionally healthy children. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Great. So I used to be a primary school teacher and I perceived a visible drop in resilience and just kind of ability to handle life among kids compared to what I remember anyway from my peer group at a similar age. And, you know, no doubt my parents would say the same thing about us as their kids compared to them and my grandparents would probably say a similar thing to you know my parents their kids um what's going on here is there a phenomenon is there a something happening or is it maybe just a perception what do you think well interesting really interesting question because um and we never ask anybody their age so i'm not going to ask you how old you are uh, but what you will have noticed and i guess as you can see gray hair have been teaching a little while now and i've been concerned most probably for the past almost two decades where we've seen a decline in resilience and now it's becoming an overwhelming almost to a certain degree overwhelming mental health crisis where our, and it's not just in Australia. So it isn't just us, it's actually around the world where anxiety, depression, self-harm and suicide are actually impacting this generation. And we call it a new morbidity. Why it's happening, I can't exactly say, but one of the things I guess, and I discuss it in the book, but it's more important to know, we need to help children deal with, uh, become emotionally intelligent and deal with uncomfortable feelings because if you, and I, I don't know if you have any kids, Brad, but I know with Ali, Ali's got kids and I've had, so what you have is a piece of your heart walking around outside your body and you want to protect that. You want to make sure it's okay. You'd love that person beyond, like you cannot even understand how much you will love your own children until you have them. And then when you see them experiencing these difficult things, what we frequently do, just like, and if you think of the brain, so uh, this is Dan Siegel's work. So um, this is like the brain and the amygdala is under here, prefrontal cortex. In the front of the prefrontal cortex, which sits right here, we have things called mirror neurons. And what mirror neurons do is when we see somebody who's in pain, 
we actually feel that ourselves. So within the past 20 to 25 years, we've had something called an fMRI, which is a functional MRI machine, which means you slide into the machine, when they show you pictures, they can see where the brain lights up. When you see pictures of somebody actually in pain, whether it be emotional pain or physical pain, the areas of the brain that lights up are actually the same areas where we would be experiencing that pain ourselves. So when parents see their children going through pain, what they want to do is scoop them up, is rescue them, is protect them from that. And I guess it's interesting, and I've been a teacher for a while and, and have done different things, consulting with families and things. I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's two cartoons that sit side by side. One of them is of the 70s where a child has gotten an E on a report card and the, the teacher's sitting there giving the report card to the parent. The parent's going through the child like a dose of salts. In the 2000s, or at least 2000, 2010, the same picture happens, except this time the parents are going through the teacher like a dose of salts. And it's almost like, why didn't my child get this grade? And why did this happen? And you should have done this. We actually have to help our children, one, take personal responsibility, and two, experience discomfort and allow them to fail. So these are some of the things that are decreasing their resilience, because if we continue to allow them to not experience pain, what's going to happen is when they become or when they do fail, and life isn't about getting all what we want. I mean, the three of us would have gone through job interviews that didn't go well. We have to sit in traffic at times that we don't like. There are things that we have to do that we don't want to do and also that things that don't go our way. And I'm sure you've both seen it. If you have been to children's birthday parties lately or heard friends talk about it, they actually change the game so there's no winner and loser. I'm sure Ali and I, Brad, and I don't know if you, but when you played past the parcel, was there only ever one prize? That's right. There is. And there was like the, yes. the, the musical chairs. When you run Absolutely. out, you better sit out. Sit down. And, but now, oh, no, we don't want children being upset. Poppycock. And I'm not yeah. saying we go out and upset our children on purpose. What I am saying is that we don't give every child a prize. At school, why are children just getting ribbons for participating? That's not That's okay right. because life is a participatory sport we all have to participate and you don't get a ribbon just for showing up let me tell you and, and these are the sorts of things that are so when brad you asked about going back to your question is it generation upon generation going oh they're less resilient i had a fascinating conversation yesterday with somebody about post-traumatic stress disorder or what it looks like and what and how emotional intelligent when our, if you think back to World War One and things like that, they actually didn't talk a lot about it. So they may have actually been less resilient, but First World War, Second World War, they came back damaged men generally because men went to war. And they often snapped more quickly. They were doing, so their resilience was actually lessened by what they had experienced because their capacity and tolerance for those sorts of things. So but they weren't talking about it. So when you look at that and say, you know, yes, absolutely, people were more resilient. They learned to deal with discomfort. They learned to deal with disappointment and uncomfortable feelings. And now because often, and I've worked as a guidance officer and I've had to say to parents, you know, I understand that you want to be your child's friend or to be liked. That's not what being a parent is about. Being a parent is taking a leadership responsibility in that relationship with your child, 
teaching them things and sometimes being disliked. We are Absolutely. not always going to be liked. Agree. So, Agree yeah, 100%. That, that, those are the sorts of things that I talk to parents about. And when to say, and, and it will be fascinating. So I'm not sure if you're aware, the past two or three weeks in Australia, um, there's been a book release called Generation Alpha. And it's written by Mark McCrindle. And it's the first generation, and I don't have my iPad on me, but where screens and technology, that's what they've grown up with. So yes. they yes. won't be like the, they'll look at a desktop laptop, which I'm a desktop, which I'm sitting in front of at the moment and go, that's a bit of a dinosaur, really. Whereas I look at this and think about the phone where I used to dial and, and yeah. you just go, that's a dinosaur. So it's often looking at that. And McCrindle was, Mark McCrindle was saying, you know, we will have to watch our children because their resilience is taking a hit. And I'm not sure what it was like when you went to school, Brad, but I know for Ali and I, we could go home and shut the door. And that frequently kept those problems outside. But now with the stuff going on online, with other things happening, you can't shut the door, you can't escape. So we're going to have to give our children. And that's what worries me. This mental health crisis started before those sorts of things were happening. And it's only going to be escalated unless we give our children the tools to deal with it. Absolutely. And the parents, the tools, don't you yeah. think, Carrie? Yeah. And, and that's yeah. where the children will get the tools. Oh, I'm being quite Who's honest. Wrong? Schools are overwhelmed. There is so much being piled on teachers at the moment. Oh, you've got to do this. You've got to teach it. And now about consent and um, respectful relationships and this and that. Schools have way too much in the curriculum already. And yeah. if they do start trying to teach about this, and I understand, and we can model it. So I talk to educators and parents about modeling things. That's what we'll do. If you want a child to respect you, model respect. If you want yes. somebody to have these sorts of things, we need to be the models because we are the grown-ups. We're the adults I love that. we need to be modeling. I love that. I would love to talk to that actually, Carrie. Like if it's true that we're a product of our upbringing, that we're a product of our environment and that our children are a re reflection of the parent and if you look back into where do, where does a child spend most of their time which is among their carers most likely parents so how important is it to make parents aware that they need to show their kids what resilience looks like in the real flesh because they they say that a child learns from what we do not what we say so how is the parents responding to life's getting tough life's hard. It hasn't gone our way. You know, it's disappointing. So they're going to look at us to see how we respond and how we react to that. So it's really important that these parents understand this, isn't it? And share that and teach that to their children through doing, being, is, leading by the example. It is incredibly important, Ali. You have hit the nail on the head. As you said, when as when we are parented as children between zero and even before birth, but between zero and five to eight yeah. early childhood years we actually don't have a filter so our brains do not have that filter yet so if somebody said yeah you're a little butt mustard all the time guess what they'll start to believe and what that, happens what is that actually then gets embedded 
in the habitual center of our brain, how we think about it. It becomes, as I call it, the itty bitty crappy committee that sits on your shoulder. That is fed by what is said to us in early childhood, what is modeled for us in early childhood. and Which how turns we into internal dialogue, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah. That's that itty bitty crappy committee. You're not going to be any good at maths. No, your mother's hopeless at maths. You're a girl. You're going to be hopeless at maths too, or whatever it is, whatever's being said. And I'm hoping that's not what parents say, but the living in a household, and this has been exacerbated in 2020 when people had to stay home uh, and parent as well as work, which was incredibly difficult for parents. Um, but th- we have lived with through an unprecedented time and the level of anxiety that has been showing in our children in their past 12 months to 18 months because our anxiety is rising. So society's anxiety in general is rising about COVID. But what we've seen is that parents' anxiety is rising. And I know what we've seen in Australia, unfortunately, is a rise in domestic violence. And when children see that rise in domestic violence, because then they'll see their parents resolving issues in this way. If you see, if it's modelled for yeah, yeah, that's it, resolving. Because if it's modelled for you, oh, when I get angry, I punch a wall and put a hole in it. That's what you'll understand to do. Oh, when I get angry, I punch a wall and put a hole in it. That's what you do. When you want to get your own way, you push people around. Or when you want something done, you yell at people. And I'm not saying this happens in the majority of households, but what I am saying is there's been more stress, more tension around money. Absolutely. A huge, significant rise in drinking. And it's not just in Australia. This is around the world. These sorts of things have been happening. And it's interesting in Australia, what's happened is they are now getting one call every 60 seconds. Kids Helpline is getting one call every 60 seconds. from children in the five to 12 year old age range i can i just oh can i just share something uh with you like it was a tough time for everyone particularly in the beginning when we didn't really understand what was going on last year i remember and this is just an example of my type of parenting and people that know me well would would understand that this to be true i would like go for a run like literally pound it out and then i i sort of have this um this this sort of like gung-ho, and I know that I'm my age and my children are older, so they're not like young children. But if I had grandchildren, I would be sharing this with them. But I'd put the music on loud. I started like washing windows and just going, I'm going to be the last one standing. So I want to teach resilience. It's like just like just be healthy, think health and wellness. Stop, yep. you know, stop going down this hole and living in fear and turn the TV off. But that's, that's another that whole is, subject we could oh. talk about. Media. That is the critical thing is looking and saying the doom scrolling or the watching because if you think it's it's been 10 years since uh, the Fukushima meltdown this year and what that really showed me at the time and before that we had 9-11 so 10 years before that we had 9-11 and it happened and there was 24-hour coverage and things like that but Fukushima was really the point where I thought we've actually gone past the tipping point now where there was just constant updates on this on social media like in social media on our phones in the news on the radio radio constantly rolling and it was fascinating at this time this time last year I was working with a group of families and uh, the father said to me actually it was in March and the father said to me you know 
I thought I was what, like watching my child's media diet. I, I, we don't watch television. We try and keep it off at home because we know there's all this stuff about COVID and what's happening overseas and how it might be coming here. And he said, I was in the car the other day and my little person was buckled into their seat in the back. And he said, am I going to die, daddy? Or are you going to die? And he said, why do you say that? What's wrong? And he said, because I'm hearing on the radio. And he said, I had the ABC radio on. So I was thinking that the ABC was a really good station and that like everything, things would be okay. Like it was just news. He said, I didn't realize how much my eight-year-old was picking up and how anxious and worried. Can you imagine being eight, hearing all this stuff, being overwhelmed and thinking, the people I'm love, like the people who take care of me are possibly going to die. What if I die? Like everybody's talking about death. And so he said, I really, I stopped the car and I made sure I turned and faced him and talked to him about it and said, no, we're keeping ourselves safe. Like we're coughing into our elbows. We're always sanitizing our hands. And another thing you can do when children are feeling really overwhelmed is Give them some proactive things. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it's um, circle of influence and circle of concern. So there's two centric concentric circles. What is in the outside of that circle are things we can't control. So when I talk to families, I say, look, let your kids focus on what they can control. So if it was during lockdown, what we could control was looking at all everybody around the world and I I tried to use this as a really good example I said look everybody's staying inside and that's what we're doing proactively like we're choosing this is the largest act of kindness of humankind ever on a on the on a world scale everybody London Paris around the world the US Australia we were all staying inside you could see the Nepal, Nepalese mountains, like the Mount Everest and things like that. And I said, this is us staying inside to protect our elders because what it was doing is giving them a sense of control and ownership. They could say, oh, I am doing a job. I'm coughing into my elbow. I'm cleaning my hands. I'm staying away from grandma and grandpa. I'm doing the right thing. So it gave them that sense of power and control. Now, I'm not saying power over parents. What I am saying is power over themselves, that they knew and they had a sense of belonging and that they were actually doing something that was positive and making a difference because there was so much overwhelming negativity. Yeah, that's that's right. What would you like to say to that one, Brad? Yeah, I'm just thinking the media is something that you will really want to limit because it's just a constant, we call it FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt, just constantly blasted out and that's not good for adults resilience as as much as it is kids either so um and it just eats away at you like death by a thousand cuts sort of thing so yeah uh, i think minimizing that is uh, a massive uh boon to the ability for for kids and parents alike to thrive I love that death by a thousand cuts or the a thousand cuts idea because you don't notice it on our psychological well-being and children, you won't notice it. It will be, it's like chipping away, but those cuts, cut, 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 chip, chip, chip. You won't notice it till you actually end up with somebody who has, is spiraling downwards. And when you start spiraling downwards, it's one hell of a lot easier to keep spiraling downwards than to come absolutely come back up into a positive spiral so it's much it's much better for everyone's psychological well-being and emotional well-being if we can and it and when i'm talking about positive mental health it's not being happy all the time 
that's actually a disorder because that that can be called mania. And I'm not making fun of that, but it's not about being happy all the time. It's actually about what are we feeding our brains? Because as I teach children, you know, you think real estate and buying by the beach or things like that, the most valuable piece of real estate you ever have, and this is with older kids, is right here. How do we take care of our brains? How do we take care of our mental health and emotional health? Because that's what you have for life. Interesting. And Carrie, isn't it interesting that the maybe, and it's just a just something that's just come in, a child might know how to be fit, physically fit. They'll know they're being taught. It seems like our, our parents can teach us how to be eat well, eat nutritious food, make the healthy choice, exercise, and that's how we become physically fit. But there's not a lot of people in homes talking about mental health and wellness, is it? It should yeah. be a conversation that needs to be said on a very regular basis and checking in with our kids through love, connection and communication, would you say? I love that. The love, the connection, the communication, because again, and that's why I use the term mental fitness, because often when parents talk about mental health and and you see this at schools and teenagers particularly, like they'll do, oh, we're going to do a mental health day. And what do they talk about? Depression, OCD or ODD, um, anxiety, eating disorders. This is not about mental health. That's actually mental Mental illness. illness. And why parents often have a difficult time dealing with uh, developing these positive, and I could say to it, it's, it's positive habits of mind. It's looking at how can we help our kids be more optimistic? How can we help them be more grateful? How can we help them savor things? And not, I know I'm one of the ones that used to hoover my food. Oh, because I don't live to eat. I eat to live, if that makes sense. So I just go, yes. oh, I've got to eat. Yep, off I trot. It's scoff, scoff, scoff but I'm not enjoying it. And that actually taking that time to mindfully sit and enjoy a meal. Now, I know when we were growing up, we ate around the table as a family. That's fantastic. But when Mitchell was growing up, it got a bit busier and, oh, sport was here and doing things. So how can you have that love connection and communication? And how can you make sure that you're teaching them to go, you know what, Instead of waking up and going, my brain is on that hamster wheel as soon as I wake up going, oh, this is what I've got to do today and this is the things and I've got to have this list and do all of that. How can we actually go, you know what, slow our brains down? Because when our brains are on that hamster wheel running, we're actually living above the red line. And a lot of our children are living above the red line as well. And what I mean by that is above the red line is where cortisol and adrenaline kick in. And when cortisol and adrenaline, and it's the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. So when you've got fight, flight, or freeze, what you'll find is the cortisol and adrenaline just are there all the time. And often when children are highly anxious, that's what they're living in. And they don't get time to rest and digest to actually go, you know what, play just play or read or spend time having a snuggle with a family member yeah it it is that love connection and communication that's right and with the animals or nature the beach, their sport you know some kids are into surfing or whatever it is for them that's their me time and their their mindfulness time that's um very beautiful so i reflect back on my my mum was a primary school teacher i don't know when i mentioned that so we, she was very big on having the family meal at the table and that was a chance, an opportunity for a sibling, you know, one of my siblings or one of the kids to step up and say, how was your day? So it's really yeah. checking in, isn't it? Even if you're it driving is. from school or to sport, my mum used to say, What's the best part? what was the best part of your day? 
And then she remembered to ask, so what did you struggle with today? So, I mean, these are easy, very valuable questions to ask a child on a regular basis to keep checking in with them. And then they understand that they know that the parent is there for them. You know, if you, you know, you've got to listen intently and not be distracted by, you know, we're guilty of having devices as well. I know the, um, I think Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, what's, yeah. you know, what's your child's love language? One of my kids is definitely quality time. So he knows when I'm being present with him. So I made this pat that it was if he came in the room, and this was when he was growing up and he's my youngest, he's now 19, but I would just go, just wait a minute, mate, just because then I'm with him present and I just like close my laptop. Okay, what, what's up? And I think this is important to understand you know, that uh, quality time and being present with your child is, is just so important. And then, they're ref- then they are a, re- a reflection of us, the parent. And that's, it's interesting that you say, because that's a conscious choice you make. And it's those yeah. conscious choices we make as parents. How are we showing up? And it may be that we were parented in a different way, but that we are now making a conscious choice to be different as parents that, and I know Brad and I were talking about before we started, he's made a conscious choice about certain things because of the values he holds. And he said, I couldn't do that anymore. I need to move to this way. But that's a conscious choice. And it is the intentional activities. What do we do for ourselves? Are we self-compassionate? Because if our children, our children will pick up on whether we say, oh, well, so for example, I'm not, I'm not particularly good at spatial awareness. And I often, I I can be clumsy at times or I'll run into things, particularly if I'm in a hurry, but I often say, oh, you're so clumsy. But what I realized was I was modeling that and I was modeling negativity about myself for Mitchell. And I just thought, I can't do that. I can't actually keep saying negative things about myself. And I actually, so the first point is awareness and going, how do we talk about ourselves? Because our children will model that and then go, it's okay to say bad things about yourself or to say negative things about yourself. And we won't even have said those words. What they will have done is watched our behavior and our actions. Absolutely. So yeah, it it is about understanding ourselves. I talk about the emotional or being really emotionally intelligent or developing our emotional intelligence skills and help as parents, we need to help our children do that because unless we can name it, and again, this is Dan Siegel's work, name it to tame it. So what goes on up here what we think is often driven by what we feel. And unless we can understand that we might be feeling disappointed or we might be feeling um, uneasy or we might be feeling those sort like we might be feeling different things, but unless children have the language, what they'll often do is go straight to anger or straight to, because anger is easy to understand. So if they're feeling uncomfortable, they don't know what's going on or disappointed what they do is go almost straight to anger because anger is something they know and they know how to express that and they've got the words for it. So that's why self-awareness first and understanding as adults, what are we feeling? And also being willing to say to the kids, you know, I went for a job, but I was really disappointed because I missed out and it hurts sometimes. And I'm going to go take a bubble bath now because I am disappointed. And that's one of my strategies to do, go take a bubble bath or whatever it is. But when I come back, it's going to be okay. Like I'm going to be able to work through it. So it's showing kids that you can be disappointed, that you can feel disappointed or feel these emotions or feel happy or feel sad or those sorts of things. This is what I do when I do that. So 
and explain to them how you cope. So self-awareness and then self-regulation, then social awareness, because that's when you can tell children, you know how when sometimes we feel sad, you can see that that other little person is feeling sad too. Look at their face, look at their body language. So what you're, and then how do we manage those relationships? But it's often the critical nature of parents it's the parents and the educators who model this and it's often what they see modeled that children will then demonstrate that's right so that's really great that you bring the educators in the teachers because I'm a big fan of teachers I mean I just know that they're struggling in that system that's broken so it's not as you said earlier Carrie the the teachers are overwhelmed so it's so important that the, the better job that we do as parents that helps the parent it helps the teachers and it helps the child it's just like this lovely cycle isn't it if we all did it well it would be um, really beautiful. So uh, name it to tame it, yeah, to understand it. And when you were talking about the child who has uh, might know anger as because they might have had that demonstrated by maybe one or two of their parents or just life in the television, movies, yeah. and then the other spectrum would be those that withdraw and go within and not share their feelings. And you actually might think that, that life's going okay for them, but they're not sharing their feelings. So how would... How would we know if we're not asking the questions and tapping into them? And, and teaching know, them knowing the signs is, and so you know, and I say to parents, you know your children best. Don't doubt yourself. You are the experts in your children. So if you see a sign that you are worried about, ask. And it may be, and I used to sit back to back with Mitchell or, and you were talking about it before, Ali, when you're driving in the car and particularly with tweens and teens, absolutely fantastic time. Cause you don't have to look at them and they don't have to look at you. So there can be a conversation going on and you can be driving and all sorts of things can be discussed because you're present with them, but it's, and that's why I was sitting when I was sitting back to back is that I'm there. He can feel I'm there. He knows I'm there. He knows I'm paying attention. Um, but also the other thing to do is one driving, you wouldn't have these out anyway, but two, as you did with your laptop and you say, you know what, I've put it on airplane mode. It's down. This is your time. Because if you, as you said, that little person who is more quiet or who is introverted or who takes it inside, we need to be able to go. Something's not right. And say to them in a delicate way, you know, I've noticed that lately it doesn't seem you're as happy as you were before, or as you, you I've noticed that you're not eating in this for like your favorite foods, or you're not doing this. I've noticed these things. Is everything okay? What's happening? Can you talk to me about that? So most probably not is everything okay because that's a yes or no answer, but can you give What's them on your mind? a yeah, open-ended question um, to say, look. I've noticed this. Can you tell me what's going on for you? Because I'm just a bit concerned. Yeah, that's beautifully said. During that time, it was, I remember when it was actually, it was around Anzac Day. So quite a, just, you know, like nearly, it was over a year ago. I spoke to a friend of mine who's a parent and she's about 70. She looks about 60. You need to see a driver's license. But I remember her sharing with me a, a strategy or a tool that she thought would be a great idea for us to use in our family, which was the talking stick, which gives everyone a chance to have a say or to talk about whatever's on their mind and no one's allowed to interrupt. So whoever's holding the stick, so a great one to use for families, like with young children, they could run out to the garden, get a stick. Whoever's got the stick has the say, is the speaker. If anyone wants to say anything, they have to write it down, never interrupt the speaker. 
So in a family environment where you feel comfortable with your own family, this is one way that we could share, but I'd love to hear more of your tools and strategies that you use for families. Oh, I, absolutely. I use it to, I talk about a talking stick with families because it is so important to take turns and to feel listened to. Um, yeah. And the communication at, around the dinner table at night, um, even with teenagers, um, the nightly routine of saying goodnight or of just letting them know in a certain way. So for younger children, absolutely reading or, and teaching. So starting with younger children, but one of the things is about three good things. So we talk about the good things that happen during the day just before they go to bed because what it's doing is actually priming the brain. So what, and giving them positive thoughts as they go to sleep. So what I say is we get into that habit when they're little and then we just encourage them to keep going. So whether it is at the dinner table as well, so absolutely at least once a week. I know, I don't know if you guys know Michael Carr, Greg, but Michael Carr, Greg used to have the rule and has the rule, these things never at the dinner table. So you put everything like devices, other things away, doesn't happen. Even if you have to lock them up in a case, um, he didn't have to do that because his kids are older now, but I know there are uh, those phone lock cases are very popular. <laughs> um, but again, it's actually being present and having those routines, having those rituals and just letting, because often what happens is we don't see it with our tweens and teens, but they start spiraling and we're not aware of it. And they're not getting that positivity or the hits of positivity as much. And again, it's not having those major spikes during the day. It's just noticing a beautiful sunrise or walking with the dog or getting outside or doing something like that where it's little hits of well-being and little hits of positivity that actually increase our well-being and our overall level of well-being. And it's understanding that when parents and, and families have conversations, being really respectful and understanding and saying, okay, how can we do that? A talking stick is one of those ways. Or um, you can play games or do puzzles together or something that actually gives them a combined, whatever works for your family. Is it riding bikes? Is it doing a puzzle? Whatever it is, it's a family and child and adult fit, but it's just making sure that coming back to what you were saying before, Ali, that they know they're loved, that they're connected and that you're communicating with them. Yeah. And particularly, I guess, because across the spectrum, like across everything, there's been a Harvard study that's gone on for over 70 years and it's look at, looking at levels of subjective or emotional and psychological well-being. And the thing that trumps everything else is relationships. So if you will, and I don't, I do apologize. I'm not sure about what is the highest card in a pack, but if it was the ace of hearts or whatever is the highest card, that is the thing. It is a relationship. So knowing that we are a herd animal, humans are herd animals. We want to belong. We want to be accepted. We want to be loved. So having those deep connections with your family, with your friends. And I know Brad and I were talking about um, before we started that connection for psychological well-being of having good friends and knowing that both good friends and, and family, having those around you, that's a huge protective factor, a significant, and I cannot stress that enough. So that love connection and that communication. And that's why seriously, through 2020, whether it be Zoom, whether it be our phones, being able to do that. I was talking to a group on Friday and I said, the worst thing we actually could have ever said 
was social distancing because we are social beings. It was actually physical distancing. So we still needed to keep those social connections because you look at how um, all of our well-being actually took a hit last year, a collective well-being, because we were actually socially distanced as well. So, yeah, it is those three things. That's right, yeah, disconnects us when we've got our beautiful smile covered up and, you know, we have to see the smiling eyes and those sort of things. Mm. Very beautiful. Talking about friendships and the kids, and that's what Brad and you spoke about earlier before I joined you, uh, Friendship 5, I remember you uh, touching on that in a podcast that I listened to, which was really lovely. To, would yeah. you want to share a little bit about that? If oh, got absolutely. So if we've got, if you look at, um, because sometimes children have a difficult time, particularly young children, but even teenagers, if you can start teaching them this, because uh, friendship is very important for kids. But if you look at it, it's the hand and it's easy to remember. One is that these are the five good things people do. They share and take, so they share their things and take turns. They're kind. They tell the truth. They're grateful. And that they don't hurt people. So the, there's five things that you look at and go, okay, they tell the truth. They share and take turns. They're kind. They're grateful. They're not hurt. And what you can say, because sometimes children don't understand that, they'll go, oh, that are they doing these things? Because if they're doing the some of those things, but they're doing other things that are going against that. So if they're not telling the truth, if they're backstabbing you, if they're not sharing or taking turns, if they're not being kind, they're actually not being good friends. So we need to help them understand that. And it's actually a way of helping our children be protective of themselves because yeah. children are often wanting to be friends and they'll be friends and they'll find it or find it hard to make friends and particularly for younger children people kids can say nasty things children I've got to be honest and Brad would know this having been a teacher children can be some of the nastiest little people on the planet um, they're not nice they say because often as adults we learn you can't say that because it's socially inappropriate children will go Bleh. And it's out there and and hurt and feelings can be hurt. And so we also need to teach our children how do we deal with things when that happens. But if people are doing these things repeatedly, no, actually, you don't want to be friends with them. It's most probably a better idea if you are going, if we can make friends with other people. And often I say to families, if that's been happening and you find that, make your child a honeypot. So it may be that for younger children, um, you go to something like, um, a, a bounce uh and no, i don't I, you don't have bouncing um so a trampoline environment or you say you know we're going to do that or we do fun things that i uh, come over to our place we're going to do these sorts of things that's making them a honeypot so they can then have friends come over and particularly for shy children that most probably they're in their own environment um they know what you're going to be doing because you will talk to them about that so then you can get friends come over and in a smaller group they can learn how to interact and be friendly and things like that but if that's what's happening for your teenage and teenage kids, go out somewhere, play laser force or do something like that. And it gives them an opportunity to feel confident, to feel um, like that they actually have friends because sometimes people, children and young adults can be really cool to, oh, you know, and especially with what goes on on this, they'll text. And what I often say to people is remind your kids that there's somebody else on the other side of that screen with feelings with who's a sister a mom or whatever uh, so don't attack people 
be kind, be generous, be willing to understand that there are people and that they have feelings. And that sometimes, you know, when they said those nasty things, that's actually not about you. That's more about them. That's lovely that to remind kids of that, especially with the social media. I, I remember I asked my, I was doing a little survey about asking my, my husband, Rob, what is the one, just like one sentence, one quote that was handed down to you by your mum. That's a, that's a good thing. And he said, treat others the way you want to be treated yourself. And how often have we heard that growing up? Isn't that a beautiful one to remind kids? So therefore, think about before you post something or send a message, how would you like, how would you feel if you received that? Let's just be kind. Yeah, and thoughtful. Absolutely, because unfortunately, and I know Brad's worked online, he would have seen a lot of it where these digital warriors or whoever they are, they get on and and whether it be trolls, whether it be people who've had a bad day and are taking, you know what, this is what's happened with social media and what's happened with the internet in general is that it's allowed a lot more socially unacceptable behaviour to come to the fore because if you look at a lot of the comments and things that are said they actually wouldn't say those things face-to-face with somebody else. They wouldn't have the guts or the balls or whatever you want. No, that's not because you know that the majority of people wouldn't do that anyway. Whereas when you've got the anonymity of sitting behind a screen and you don't see the words, it's interesting and you were talking about um, a strategy. So I know we're going to wrap it up soon, but one of the strategies we talk about um, and I've shown, and I don't know whether Brad will have used this because I know he's taught primary school before. I use an apple. And so when we talk about um, whether it be with, and I use this with teenagers with social media as well, or children in the, younger children in primary schools. And what I say is, you know, when you send that text or when you do that, it's like dropping an apple. So we drop the apple on the ground. We drop the apple on the ground and things like that. And I said, you often can't see the results. And so we go around the group, but when you cut the apple in half and when you look at it, you will see all those bruised marks and I said, you can't take, you may not see it from the outside, but that's what happens. I also, with teenagers, I also use a piece of wood and I get them to hammer a nail into a piece of wood. And I say, think about those barbed words that you're using, hammer that nail in, now remove it. And they go, and they look at me and I say, well, what's happened? The nail's gone. I said, yeah, that's what happens when you apologize. And when you say, look, I'm really sorry, I didn't do that but can you see what's left in that piece of wood? And I said, it's a hole. And I said, yeah. I said, it will, those words, think about what you're saying, whether you're texting, whether you're emailing, if you're saying nasty, horrible things, you can apologize and try. I said, but you'll never pull those words back. You can't take them back physically or, and there will always be a piece of damage left whether like it's that. a damaging that friendship and yeah, it, it's just, it, it's again, like your concept of the, of the social media that death by a thousand cuts, Brad, it's just reminding them, you know what? There's always a consequence. Yeah. yeah it, always whole, a consequence. You can't take it back. Uh, you can, you know, try and uh, fix the damage or whatever, but you, you've already yeah. done that. And that's shown a part of who you are that other people are going to be aware of then. And it's like, do you want other people knowing that you are capable or willing to do these terrible things? Uh, Probably not, because it's going to hurt you going forward. And I get that that's probably not something that you can talk to a small child about, but definitely teenagers will will understand that. 
a yeah, concept of especially because explored. exactly what you said, Brad, that's their character. Mm. You are showing this is part of your character. And if you are going to show that, people are going to understand or think that this is how you behave all the time. If you behave like this now, people aren't going to want to be friends with you, let me tell you. And then we'll show them the other side with the apple. You want to share kindness and beautiful words and comment on what they're doing well and their beautiful, unique gifts that they've been gifted with. And then you're shining the apple or you're washing, yeah. washing it and then shining it every time. So which yeah. so you can show them what would you like to be? Absolutely. Yeah, we talk about that because I say, I say to people, that's what happens there. But when you are kind to people, this is what happens because it's like we're shining them and we're giving them appreciation and consideration. So, yeah. Oh, that's lovely work you're doing, Carrie. That's so really beautiful. It's so important. to So they can really get a visual because the brain learns in pictures, doesn't it? Mm. So they really understand that those words can cut deep. That's great. Oh, I'm really enjoying today. How are we going for time, Brad? I think it's about time we uh, talk about our key takeaways. So I think for me, definitely the connection element. So um, the the friendship, the community, the family unit uh, bonding there. Um, like there's been so many studies of like rats and other animals that if you put like cocaine or hard drugs in with them, you know, they'll go after that. If they've got uh, activities to do and a social life with their family, they either don't touch the drugs ever or they touch it like, once every couple of months it's like essentially never so it's it's the same in humans and it's been shown that drug addicts uh almost always suffer from that human connection and obviously that goes back to childhood issues and all sorts of things but if you put them in an environment where there's the social connection and uh, something to look forward to in life and you know positive things going on it makes the world a difference Absolutely, Brad. And that is so, I, looking at those studies, those studies fascinate me because those drugs are, are really addictive, powerful drugs. But the thing, as you said, it is our, and what happens with the receptors in our brain and the dopamine receptors, that we get that in another way when we've got those positive connections and love in our life. So thank you. Um, it was interesting. That's lovely. Well, I, yeah, thank you, Carrie, for in, uh, joining us today. This is just so valuable for every parent and the teachers even to tap into this as well, not, not to mention the kids as well. So it's like I think you've given us a lot today for, for all of those, for the whole family and the teachers, the educators. I loved the, the conversations that we have at the dinner table. Before we go to sleep, let's keep in nice things, good things, at least three things on going to bed. And ritual, so create a ritual and a routine around that because I really believe the power of that subconscious mind, what you go to bed on, you know, you go to bed on gratitude, you wake up grateful, that sort of thing. So I think that's beautiful. And I love the friendship five that you shared. I think that would be a wonderful thing. And I'm hoping that you've got these strategies somewhere in your tucked away in that book of yours, which I'm sure Brad's going to. Uh, hopefully yeah have you got it handy to show oh, everyone we'd no, love to i actually gave away the last two copies oh, that's um, right. on friday so i do apologize but um yeah you can find it easily um yeah it's just called raising a mentally fit generation look for it it's fine and but honestly it's been an absolute pleasure learning from both of you because and just being on a podcast and sharing the message no matter who i guess i just look at it and go whoever needs it will hear it and I'm just so grateful I can share just different ideas with your audience to make their lives and the lives of their children better. 
Oh, thank you, Carrie. That's beautifully said. And Brad, you're going to share Carrie's details in our links below. So Certainly, we'll all have a link to the book, definitely. Uh, do you have a website? Yes, I do. Carriesutton.com. Well. Yeah, cool. Oh, Thanks that's for joining lovely. us. Thanks again, Carrie. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Carrie. If you know someone who might benefit from today's conversation, please share it. See you again next time. Bye for now.